I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Hello, good, Greg. Good afternoon, Brett. It, good afternoon it, to everyone. It is another frigid day for March, and we <laughs> we have some guests in Winnipeg. Just I'm sure you may have heard or may have not, but there's a movie being shot in Winnipeg. Sir Ben Kingsley is here. Alexandra D'Addario is here. She's going to be in that Baywatch movie coming out this summer. Uh, Henry Cavill, the last son of Krypton, is here. And... Uh, Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion. What was his big um, well, TV he, show? He was in Castle for Castle, a number of, of years. Castle, of course. And before that, uh, for the, the sci-fi geeks out there, he was in uh, Firefly, which uh, where they ended up making a movie called Serenity. Uh, that was a short-lived show, but a well-loved show. Now, I understand he's from Edmonton originally, and yesterday he took to the Twitter and said, um, oh, that's not what he said. Interesting insights. That's the wrong tweet, GMAC. Uh, give me a sec here, Nathan Fillion. I thought I had all set up for us here. Sorry, Brett. Oh, no, that's quite all right. He, he was... just While you're looking for that, he is, uh, looks like, originally from Edmonton. But I'm going to assume that he now lives in somewhere significantly warmer. That he does. He lives in Los Angeles. And... How did I just have it? I just had it. I believe I can 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 paraphrase it. Here it is. Today in Winnipeg, the temperature is minus 11 degrees Celsius or 12 degrees Fahrenheit. But with wind chill, it's get me out of here. <laughs> I, hey, and if, when you're not, I mean, I know, especially for somebody born in Edmonton, clearly winter is not something that he is foreign to. But if he lives from in L.A., it's. Got to be a hard transition, especially because, like, I don't know when they showed up, but it was mild. True. Just a few days ago. So they probably got here thinking, well, everything's melting and it's not, it's, I don't know what it's going to do for the look of this film they're doing. But then it goes from mild to brutal. So, yeah, the wind, it would be a huge shock. I was thinking about it, like, if you're, if you live in LA and then you come up to Winnipeg and it's cold and windy, that's got to be tough on the system. And I suppose this, it would be uh, the same for me if I went to a place like India or somewhere that's super hot. Like even when it's really hot in our summer, that's still not nearly as hot as it can get. So that would be really hard on my body. I go. think so too. And uh, Florida, when it gets up into the high 30s and with the humidity and everything, I think the hottest I ever experienced was 112. In Phoenix, mm. which wasn't horrible because you know how we say it's a dry cold. It is a dry hot. Uh, but the warmest I think I ever felt was about 102, 103 in North Carolina. And it was so damp. It was so humid. And you go from the air-conditioned car outside for, you know, a little bit and then into the air-conditioned shopping mall and then back into the air-conditioned car into the air-conditioned house. It really runs you down going, you know, from those exaggerated temperatures back and forth. But uh, I can imagine, I mean, let's be honest. If you want a few bucks right now, the first thing you'd be doing <laughs> is booking a week off or two and then heading somewhere warm. So if you're not from here and you're a little uncomfortable with the cold, we're going to forgive you because right now, even the most fervent Manitobans are ready for a holiday right now that includes sun, sand, and sea. Sun, sand, and beverages, <laughs> endless, by the pool, whatever it may be. So Nathan Fillion, 
I may have been offended for a millisecond, but I feel your pain, brother. Hope that you're enjoying your time in Winnipeg nonetheless. That was retweeted over 250 times. It had two, as of right now, it has 2,442 likes. Wow. And the responses, I can't even scroll down to the bottom of the responses. People, you know, offering to, well, I, I can warm you up, Nathan, <laughs> to here's a picture. Someone sent him a gif of a nice uh, fireplace, oh, like yes. the fireplace. Yeah that you get at Christmas time on Shaw TV. You get the the channel there to people inviting him all over the world. Oh, it's much warmer here in Spain, Nathan. So uh, we did pretty good in terms of not taking him too seriously and uh, <laughs> and sending him all our best as he spends some time here in the city. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, we just wanted to acknowledge our, our new friends from Hollywood shooting a film. I, I believe it's called Nomis. At least that's the uh, what the, the that's working, the working title. title, as they call it. Yes. So um, they're dealing with the cold, but what if you had to deal with the noise? Paw Passion stories about your pets. Global News reporter Matt Cardi put together a feature. It actually first aired on this radio station yesterday. We didn't have time to get to it. I listened to it last night, and I thought. This is a great feature. I want to play it for you right now and get your thoughts on what you would do about a noisy dog. I felt they were very negligent in taking care of their dogs. I really don't think they deserve to have them. You know, it's important that if you have a dog barking, you understand that, okay, this could be affecting my neighbors. They're a social animal. They uh, crave contact Dogs will bark, it's what they do, but it can also drive a neighborhood or an apartment floor nuts. Debbie Collins loves dogs. She even loved the two small pups living two doors down from her Crestview home. But in the middle of the night, her love has been tested. And they had just been barking all night and all morning, and I had to work that morning. So I was really upset. So in my house coat, I go out the front door, and I went to the neighbor's house, I banged on the door, And I said, you need to let your dogs in. They've been barking for eight hours. And I turned around to leave, and the woman said, oh, they're outside? I snapped. (laughs) I just lost it. I said, not in such nice words, I said, I will be back with animal services, and we will take your dogs because you do not deserve them. So I don't know if animal services came or not, um, but after a couple weeks, they did stop barking, and then I noticed a for sale sign on the front lawn, so I was problem solved. And this was not the first incident. She says three complaints were filed with animal services in the months prior to this confrontation. Oh man, Uh, months, like months, through the summer, through the winter, and then the following summer again. I was having my mom's birthday party and uh, it was just non-stop through her, and it was a barbecue outside, so it was non-stop through the whole thing. I mean, and then of course I had a dog, and he was a big dog, So, you know, he would bark once, and then they'd go crazy again, right? We spoke with Leland Gordon of Animal Services about the process of filing a complaint. The first thing we do is we send out a letter, actually, um, just as a courtesy, right? We'll send a letter to the person you're complaining about, and then you get a similar letter that we we sent a letter. I think most of the time that stops it. In other words, that people get a, um, a letter from Animal Services saying that somebody's concerned about barking. If it continues where the... Even after a few weeks, there's still more barking. Then you can complain again. Then we'll uh, we'll go to the person's home. 
uh, maybe talk to them, see what they can do, maybe give them a verbal warning, right? And then if it escalates even more, then the, the final thing we could really do is issue a ticket. Now that fine could be upwards of $200, but Gordon said the first thing you should ultimately do, speak with your neighbor and let them know their dog is being a bit of a problem in the area. Just talk about the barking, um, tell them how it's affecting you. Um, they may not even know or realize that their dog's barking or having any um, neighborhood livability effect, right? So why do dogs bark? Val Poulton is with the Winnipeg Humane Society. So if you have a dog that's outdoors a lot, uh, dogs are very social animals. So if he's not getting a lot of social interaction, then um, he could be frustrated about that. Um, if there's not a lot for him to do out there and he's bored, he's not getting adequate exercise, that could be a reason for barking. Um, it could also be that he's distressed because he's alone. First of all, not a good idea to leave your dog outside all day and night. But if the dog is inside and barking, Polton says take him or her away from the window, turn on some music to block out any noise as well. You can also keep your dogs occupied while you're away, because after all, pups get bored. Uh, either a stuffed Kong or a Kong wobbler or any of the other variety of treat dispensing toys um, so that um, he can nibble during the day. You can also hide treats in various places around the house so that your dog needs to go hunting for treats. Um, that can keep them entertained. So whether you own a dog or live near one, there are ways to ensure humans and canines all get along. Matt Carty, Global News. Thank you very much, Matt Carty. And this is something that uh, has always bothered me when people leave their dogs outside and just let them bark, 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 bark. I, uh, just a few weeks ago, where there was one night where it was dreadfully cold and I could hear some dogs barking at, I don't know, it was 11.30, around 12 o'clock at night. And they, they were outside for, I want to say an hour. I could just hear these dogs barking in the distance. And I finally got up and I put on some winter clothes and I went out looking for them because I wanted to know where this was happening. And I wanted to knock on the door and I actually found the property and I found the dogs and they started barking. But it, I could, it, it looked like it was a, a multi-unit home and I didn't know which which home the dogs belong to. So I didn't want to knock on the wrong door. Wow. Short, shortly before midnight. So I kind of left it. And the the barking inevitably stopped. What state of mind were you in? Were you really angry or were you more concerned about the dogs? Both. You know, concerned for the dogs because it's really cold and they shouldn't be outside. Um, but also angry that they're allowing this to happen. It's just, it's so rude and, and not courteous. And I, I've just never understood that, how, how anybody can think it's acceptable to have a dog and to just leave it outside barking. You like, have, have to wonder, what are you doing inside your house that you don't hear it yourself? Yeah. And what is it inside you that allows you to ignore it? Because if you can hear it, you know your neighbors can hear it. And not just the next, like all around for multiple houses, people can hear it. Yeah. So 204-780-6868, have you ever had a situation like this, ever dealt with a situation like this, and did you actually do something about it? Because I'm always reluctant to actually do something about it, mostly because a lot it, it involves people I don't know. Like It's not a situation where this is my immediate neighbor. These are people who live down the 
down the block or people I've never met. So I don't want to go knock on the door because I don't know if I'm about to kick the wrong hornet's nest. So 204-780-6868 would love to hear how you dealt with it. Just like the woman that Matt Cardi talked to, she snapped and she dealt with it. One Love to hear your thoughts on the phone or on text. 204-780-6868. Noisy dogs, what do you do about it? Mackling and McGarry, your forecast up next. Paw Passion. Stories about your pets all this week on 680-CJOB. It says on my screen minus 187. I know that's not right. It's minus 17. (laughs) Feels like minus 187 at 680 CJOB. Minus 187. Wasn't that that, uh, the code they always use in rap songs for homicide? It's a weather homicide. It's a wimp. It's How cold. do you know that? I listen to a lot of rap music. Clearly, it's I know what a fifty-one. Fi- I know a fifty-one fifty, but a one eight seven. That's what they used to. I don't know if that's the actual, but they they, they always talked about the one eight seven in the gangsta rap. Interesting. We're talking about noisy dogs. Shut up! Shut up! Seinfeld, Elaine. Losing her mind. I believe you, she actually kidnapped that dog. I think, didn't Kramer do it on her behalf? And oh. then the dog, yeah, met an unfortunate ending, I That's believe. That's right. And then she tried to get a new dog oh, or something. Oh, man. It, Forgive me. I'm, it's been many years since I've seen that episode. But we bring it up because of this report that Matt Cardi did yesterday on noisy dogs. And we're doing our Paw Passion series this week. And... We wanted to know what you do or if you have successfully dealt with a situation where you had a neighbor who let their dog bark, 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 and bark. Yeah, and how did you deal with it? And I wanted to ask you, Brett, Mm. is it not somewhat easier, other than the fact you're concerned that Mike Tyson might be on the other side of the door, (laughs) to deal with a neighbor, someone in the neighborhood that you don't know versus maybe a neighbor you know really well, and then you're worried about fracturing your relationship with them. Maybe you already have a little bit of a decorum. You like one another, and then it makes it even more difficult. It's like telling one of your friends that their child is misbehaving, and we had that conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, people see their animals as their fur babies, mm-hmm. and you knock on the door, and it's like, hey, Brett, how you doing? Why is your dog barking all night? It might cause some friction in our relationship. Just the thought. Well, that's an interesting, that is an interesting question. I don't know what would be easier. Like I said, I am always reluctant to knock on doors where people are letting their dogs bark because I don't know if a Mike Tyson style character, someone who is significantly stronger than I am and can hit really hard is going to open the door. I don't know. So I don't know what would be easier. And we have some text messages here on this subject. There's one from Kristen who says, I can tell you what not to do about a barking dog. When I first bought my house, it needed extensive repairs. I couldn't move in right away, but me and my dad went by to work on it every day. We got to know the neighbors on either side of my soon-to-be home. One lady seemed all right. The other, a little unstable. Neither liked the other. Unstable lady had a dog that she enjoyed letting out to bark at us every time we were in my yard. We wanted to get off on the right foot, so we ignored it and made small talk with the lady. We seemed to be at peace. When I was finally able to move in, I mentioned it to the all right lady. 
She warned me about the barky dog being let out at four in the morning and to be ready to be awoken by said barking. She was right, but it only happened the one day, so I figured I had lucked out. I later found out that all right lady's boyfriend had waited until I moved in, then called in a complaint to animal (laughs) services. (laughs) That's great. So it would look like Mm, I did it. All right, lady's boyfriend. Very smart. (laughs) Kristen, sorry Sorry that happened to you. Uh, We have a call Well, the only reasonable question now is, did it work? (laughs) That's true, Kristen. Can you follow up with a text message, Kristen, please? (laughs) Did the dog stop barking? Tannis is at 204-780-6868. Tannis, what do you say? Well, you know, I have to be um, I have to be very blunt, okay? I moved into the home that I'm currently in uh, about mm, 14 years ago. And at the time, we had a beautiful German Shepherd Malamute dog that barely barked. He was one of the quietest dogs in the neighborhood, okay? And uh, it just so happened that we had a babysitter looking after our boys, and she had let the dog out and forgotten about it. Now, the dog barked, okay, to get in, but she couldn't hear him from the basement. Well, instead of coming to us, okay, um, Mm. I have known all my neighbors since the first day I came in here. And I have always thought that I had kept a pretty open relationship Uh, friendly, you know, talk to me about anything kind of thing. Well, we got a notice in the mail from the city saying that we had uh, a barking dog. And I was shocked. I was shocked, appalled. I couldn't understand it. You know, like, why didn't my neighbors come to me? I didn't even know this happened because as soon as my dog starts to bark, I bring my dog in. Tannis, okay. that's the other side of it, right? I had exactly. not thought about the the uh, feelings that you would have if people went the direct route in terms of the authorities and didn't have the what really turns out to be the the uh, manners to talk to you about it first, right? Well, that's what I was hoping for yeah. because of the fact that I have been a very, I think, pleasant person to deal with. Why can't you talk to me? Tannis, well, I'm afraid, it, you know what, I, I'm sorry to put you on pause there, Tannis, but the clock has us, but we do thank you for your call, and thank you, Kristen, call. for your text on this, and uh, we appreciate the suggestions and uh, potential solutions. It's 127, Global News is up next. It's 134, he's Brett, I'm Greg, and this weekend, the University of Manitoba Bisons will play host to the Canada West Men's Volleyball Championships. The Bisons already have their ticket punched for the national championships in Edmonton, but we're going to find out from the head coach of the Manitoba Bison Men's Volleyball Team, Garth Pischke, whether or not he'd like to raise that Canada West banner at the Investors Group Athletic Centre. Is that the focus, Garth, to win this championship, or is it the long game here for you? Well, we, we've all season we've uh, we've been managing to take it one weekend at a time, and uh, and this is just another step in that process. And certainly, there's there's a lot on the line this weekend. Even though all four teams have, have booked their ticket to nationals, we're we're playing for the opportunity for the for the top seed, and uh, top seeds are are going to get better, an easier draw in the first round of the nationals. 
So the Bison will host the UBC Thunderbirds at 6.30 tomorrow at IGAC at the Investors Group Athletic Centre, and Alberta will face Trinity Western at 8 o'clock, and then the two winners will face off on 9 o'clock on Saturday night for the for the Canada West Championship. And uh, Coach Pischke, congratulations on your first Men's Volleyball Coach of the Year award. Well, it's it's my first one in this conference. We used to play in the in the Great Plains Athletic Conference, and uh, probably the majority of my career was in that conference. So uh, I'm certainly happy to get one in in this conference as well, too. And it's as 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 it's always obvious, it's it's a credit to the team. Garth, uh, how do you maintain your passion? Thirty-five years with the University of Manitoba. How do you maintain that uh, level of uh, of drive to keep going? I, I guess I love what I do, and uh, you know I really enjoy working with uh, uh, in the sport of volleyball and working with these uh, young athletes and uh, trying to develop them into uh, moving on in their career. and uh, And uh, we see some great results, and uh, and I'm passionate about what uh, what we can do with these uh, Canadians and Manitobans. Indulge us for a moment here, Garth. As many of our listeners may not realize, excuse me, that we're <clears throat> speaking with the. North American all-time coaching match wins record for men's volleyball at the collegiate level, over 1,300 overall match wins. And in the 35 years as Bison's men's volleyball head coach, the Bison's have qualified for the national championship 27 times and won nine titles. Uh, You know, I often, when I'm traveling across Canada, uh, tout Manitoba's uh, prowess on the volleyball court. That that really uh, highlights it there, Garth. We we really do an incredible job of developing these uh, volleyball players and these incredible athletes here in in our province. Yeah, and, and I don't think many people realize that. And uh, and if they have the opportunity to come out and, and watch us play this weekend and, and watch all four teams, it's it's four of the top six ranked teams in the country, and uh, and they're going to see some spectacular athletes. And uh, you know, we constantly hear about the guys that move on to professional ranks in some of the you know traditional sports of the basketballs and the, and the volleyballs and and all the credit to them but uh, we don't hear much about these guys in in the sport of volleyball and I can tell you right now that of these four teams that are playing here probably a, a dozen of these guys are going to move off and play professional over in Europe and we'll probably never hear from hear about them again professional in Europe does it does it make you um, or what do you think about the fact that there's professional in Europe but not here well, we would certainly love to have it here in in Canada and have the opportunity for these guys to showcase their athletic ability here. But uh, um, such is not the case. So, uh, so they do what what they have to do, and they move move abroad, unfortunately, and uh, and go over there to make uh, make their living in volleyball, or they decide to stay here and uh, and follow their career path. And and the good thing is, all these guys are student athletes, so they're proceeding towards uh, some form of career path as well. Your daughter Taylor is playing professional beach volleyball, and once again, for a lot of people, Manitoba and beach volleyball doesn't add up, but you know a little bit different. You know a little thing or two about beach volleyball yourself, Garth? Yeah, I I do, and uh, you know, as soon as this season's over with, I'm excited about uh, uh, jumping on a plane and heading out to Toronto to to help my daughter out and follow her 
around. It's the only chance I get to see her. So we, we travel the world and uh, she's on the, the world tour in beach volleyball. And, uh, and I believe they're ranked about 25th in the world right now, which is an incredible accomplishment for a, for a local uh, person playing in a sport that's not really a traditional sport here in, in Canada. Garth, the, the fact that the Final Four is this weekend, but you've already qualified for the, the national championship, do you think that, that the fact that you, you're already into the national championship, could can that work against not just your team, but all four teams really this weekend? Because that is there a risk of sort of looking ahead? Well, it's there is there there definitely is. I mean, there there is not going to be the pressure uh, that if actual bursts were on the line, uh, you know. And I think that 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 pressure when you're dealing with with good teams and all four of these teams are good will raise the level of play. But uh, the fact that uh, we are playing for for some pretty pretty high stakes here as far as seeding goes for next weekend, uh, I think it's just a continuation of our regular season as we're jockeying for position and to go into nationals to to better our chances of moving on at nationals with a, with a couple wins here this weekend. The men's uh, volleyball head coach uh, for the University of Manitoba Bisons, Garth Pischke, joins us now. The Bisons hosting the Canada West Volleyball Championships at the Investors Group Athletic Centre <laughs> at the University of Manitoba. And Garth, maybe talk about the rule changes that a lot of people might not be familiar with. If, if you're of a certain age and have haven't been out to watch body volleyball in a long time. Uh, the side out rules have changed. The scoring has changed. Do you think it's been a good thing in terms of the uh, the <clears throat> audience and for those that are watching versus participating in volleyball? And has there been a benefit uh, to the players in these rule changes and the scoring changes? Well, I think uh, the spectators especially are benefiting from the rule changes. Just just the fact that there's a point scored on every play makes it a lot easier for people to follow uh, as opposed to the old system where you had to serve to score. Uh, the fact that the serve can now touch the net keeps the play going and there isn't uh, as many stoppages as there was before. And, and another exciting addition is obviously the, the addition of the libero, who's a defensive specialist, which is greatly needed in the sport of volleyball because it's so powerful and this this gives us the opportunity to make the rallies last a little bit longer and you, i wasn't aware of the, the the change in scoring so is it what do they call that a rally point is that where they yeah, can get a point yeah. on every play yeah every play is called a rally so it's called rally scoring and uh, and you get a point on every play so uh, a lot easier for for the average spectator to follow along knowing that uh, something's going to be posted on the board every time the ball's dead well the pursuit of the 10th national championship uh, for the university of manitoba bisons led by our guest garth pishke is well underway the canada west championships this weekend garth we're going to let you go and we're going to give away some tickets here to the uh, to the event this weekend we want to thank you so much for your time we know it's very valuable and we wish you the best of luck and hopefully we can catch up with you next week yeah, uh, thank you very much. Thanks for handing out these tickets. Uh, lucky, lucky people that get them because I think it's going to be a full house Saturday night for the final, and uh, it's going to be a real exciting atmosphere with some great play. Yeah, about three thousand people you can jam into that gym, and there's nothing like it when it's a full house at the Investors Group Athletic Center. Uh, Garth, once again, best of luck. All right, thanks a lot.
Cheers, Garth Pischke, head coach of the Manitoba Bison men's volleyball team. And if you'd like to go and see the Bisons dominate the University of <laughs> British Columbia Thunderbirds and then subsequently uh, either the Alberta Golden Bears or the Trinity Western, and I don't know the nickname of the Trinity Western team, so I will uh, defer to you, Brett McGarry, to use the Google machine. Bottom line is we've got three pairs of tickets. They're good for all matches on your choice of day. So if you'd like to go tomorrow, there's a match at 6.30 and at 8 o'clock. UBC versus Manitoba is the first match starting at 6.30, and then it's Alberta versus Trinity Western at 8. If you'd prefer, you can go Saturday, and then the winners and the losers will face off against each other. The bronze medal game will go at 6 on Saturday. The gold medal game will go at 9 o'clock on Saturday, but you're going to have tickets for both matches either day. Three pairs. All you have to do is be one of our first three callers at 780-6868. if you'd like to see the Canada West Volleyball Champions Championships, pardon me, featuring the Manitoba Bison. Spartans! Never in a hundred years for half a million dollars in prize money would I have come up with Trinity Western Spartans. I should have gone with my gut because I was going to just blurt out Spartans! You weren't. I was. Good for you. And then I, but I Googled it and I saw it was Spartan. So. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I think Carolyn Classen's going to be angry with me for not knowing that because I think uh, one of her sons played at Trinity Western. Oh, well. One of the sportings, if I'm not incorrect in well, that. Well, we'll have to find out when we talk to Carolyn at 2.30. She is going to talk to us today, Seven Ways to Practice Emotional First Aid, our weekly Mostly weekly visit with Carolyn. Uh, she's uh, been uh, had a couple of vacations recently, so lucky her. And uh, see how tanned she is, I guess. Yeah, I think this abs- was another hot vacation, yeah, right? I, I believe it was, and she looked so tanned and rested after the last one. I'm surprised <laughs> that she came back. Uh, just uh, a couple other sporting uh, news messages and items for you while we're here. Manitoba is playing Canada in uh, the Briar this afternoon. Team Canada just got the first point of the match. Uh, it's one nothing Team Canada, Kevin Cooey, over Mike McEwen of Manitoba. That's after four ends. So uh, three scoreless ends, and then Manitoba forces Canada to take one point and get hammer in the fifth end. And third-ranked McGill playing Manitoba. That's in men's basketball out in Ontario. And we'll get you a score update uh, for you when I have we a come score back. Right oh, now. good for you. 48, uh, McGill leads 48-40 with about seven minutes left in the fourth. Fantastic. So the Bison trying to advance to the next round of the final eight of men's basketball at, uh, I believe it's in Halifax, Nova Scotia, the final eight. I, I already closed the window. I can't confirm. That's okay. I'm going to go. I feel pretty comfortable about that. Okay. We'll take a break and uh, more <laughs> conversation, sports and or otherwise. When we come back, he's Brett. I'm Greg. One fifty in the afternoon. I'm Greg. He's Brett. We were just visiting with the head coach of the University of Manitoba men's Volleyball team, Garth Pischke, the legend himself, 35 years at the helm of the Bison, uh, 29 appearances in the national championship, nine championships going for number 10 as the Bison have already qualified for the national championships next weekend up in Edmonton. But before that, 
They'd like to win the Western, the Canada West Championship as they face off against uh, UBC tomorrow and then uh, hopefully in the championship on Saturday. Brett, we gave away some tickets. We did, and it was we had three pairs of tickets to give away, good for all the matches on your choice of day, so either tomorrow or Saturday for the Final Four. And our winners are Shane Newton, Daniel Borden, and Darren Hale. So congratulations to the three of you, and thank you for calling in and showing your interest in university sports. Again, the Manitoba Bisons playing UBC tomorrow at 6.30. Alberta plays Trinity Western at 8 p.m. at Investors Group Athletic Center. And then on Saturday, the uh, final is, is the I guess, the consolation bronze medal matches at 6, and then the final is at 9 p.m. So the Manitoba Bisons looking to claim the Canada West Conference as they prepare for the national championship after that. In, in fact, in the news release on Pishke's uh, Canada West Coach of the Year, his first one, mm-hmm. they cite uh, the fact going back to the G-Pack, as they used to call it, that they couldn't even count. They just said numerous times. <laughs> He'd won Coach of the Year numerous <laughs> times. I think Garth wanted us to know that, but he probably couldn't remember how many times it was in his 35-year career. I'm going to guess that it's in double digits somewhere. It's a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a significant amount. <laughs> Speaking of a significant amount, we had a significant amount of text messages uh, pertaining to our conversation on neighbors with barking dogs and how you <laughs> handled them. And uh, one story in particular caught our attention. I just wanted to read this one text message, Brett, before you uh, you follow up on Kristen's text. Had a neighbor in our condo with a barking dog. He bought a barking collar for the dog. Fixed in one day. Apparently it responds to the bark with a high frequency sound, which the dogs do not like. That's uh, pretty, that's impressive. What do you do, buy it and, and just gift it? I don't know. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that's what you hey, do. I bought you something. That's not for me. No, it's not. It's for Fufu. Your yappy dog. So Kristen sent us a text, and if you're just tuning in, we'll just quickly recap. She bought herself a house, and she couldn't move in immediately because the house needed work, so she got to know her neighbors on either side. She described one of them as all right lady and the other one as unstable lady. Unstable lady had a dog that she enjoyed letting out to bark every time they were in the yard. So when she finally moved into the house, all right lady's boyfriend called the city to complain about the dog, so it ended up looking like Kristen was the one who phoned in the complaint. So we asked Kristen if the complaint worked and the dog stopped barking. And Kristen says, it only worked for the 4 a.m. bark fests. I built a six-foot solid wood privacy fence to block out the rest. That does not, unfortunately, block out the spotlight of vengeance (laughs) that unstable lady installed to blind me every time I open my back door. And so I said, hey, thank you for the great story. I'm sorry you have to endure this crap. And she says... Thanks. My biggest consolations come from entertaining others with my awkward tales of woe. The spotlight of <laughs> vengeance. Outstanding. Kristen, I think you should be writing for a living. Yeah, she's a great storyteller. Great storytelling. <laughs> Cleveland had another solution, which I enjoyed. Cleveland said, I got a dog with that barks louder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I wrote down when Tannis was speaking, when she called in to talk about uh, her unfortunate incident where her 
babysitter, I think she said, left the dog outside and then didn't realize it was outside. The dog was usually pretty good. She kind of mentioned the fact that her dog was probably the quietest of the dogs in the neighborhood. And I think that we all secretly, if you live in a neighborhood with neighbors with multiple dogs, you secretly rank the yappiest to the least yappy or the other way yourself. I know we do that. We try and figure out where Abby fits in on the yappy list <laughs> because she, as soon as she's outside, she's barking. She wants her friends to come out and play. Mm-hmm. And so she'll run out and she barks one side, then she goes to the back fence and then to the other fence. Inevitably, she finds a friend. But as soon as she's been barking for more than two minutes, I'm out there like, you're back in the house. We don't act like that. It's been five years of futility with this little dog that I love so much, but she will not shut up when she goes outside because she wants to bark and talk at her friends. Well, the, the little dogs tend to, I find, bark more. Oh, she's it, terrible. It seems like the smaller the dog, the more yappy they get and the bigger they are. That's not necessarily a, a universal rule. My friends have a dog. Um, it's a Lassa... I, I refer to, I always call it a Shatso Apso, but it's a, like a Lassa Apso or something. It's a Shih Tzu mix or yeah, something? Yeah, it's just this little fuzzball, and right. it is the quietest dog I've ever met, it's really? just, and which is unusual for a smaller dog. Mm, um, just quickly read a text here from John, who says, Not a dog, but new people moved in, in across the street. Buddy was sitting on his car, talking on Bluetooth, windows open. I said, quiet, two times. No change. Went to garage. Got chainsaw fired up full throttle <laughs> by the fence where he could see me. He put the window up. <laughs> I stayed till he was off the phone. Problem solved. Would do same for dog. <laughs> Did you have a hockey mask on, John? Uh, or something like Leatherface. That's hilarious, John. But also really frightening. And uh, yeah, I'd be. I think I'd be terrified. So good for you, John. You are a Creative problem solver. 157 on 680 CJOB. After global news, we are going to talk about two entrepreneurs who are invading the basement at Hudson's Bay downtown. Third and Bird. After the news on 680 CJOB. Close your eyes. Imagine 40, 50, 60,000 people going absolutely nuts. This was the first song that you two played for most of their entire Joshua Tree tour. You can see it in Rattle and Hum, Tempe, Arizona, Sun Devil Stadium, and the lights explode, and really the greatest band in the world comes on stage. 30 years ago today, the Joshua Tree was released still... I would say my favorite album of all time and uh, one of our guests in studio right now. I've discovered Brett McGarry is a larger YouTube freak than I am. Really? And so I wanted to play this song for Shandra Kremsky, who's in studio with us to talk about her outstanding, let's just soak this in here. Um, great song. Uh, about her ex- outstanding pop-up business that's called Third and Bird and Charlotte Smeal is with her. They are, which one of you is third and which one of you is bird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, we're still figuring that one out. <laughs> Where'd you come up with that name? Oh, we get asked that all the time. All the time. We don't have a good story. Uh, we wish there we must had be a good wine story. involved. Possibly. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when we decided to come up with a name and do doing the rebrand of, like, how we wanted to be known for, 
we we had the logo developed and it was the bird and we knew we had to incorporate bird into the name and it was literally just driving down the street like looking at different street signs and businesses and trying to put it all together and then one day it was like third and bird called charlotte i'm like what do you think of third and bird she's like yep done <laughs> drop the mic it's over Fantastic. we did go through different birds i remember we were like sparrow robin yeah. <laughs> but we kept coming back to third and bird why birds uh, when we first started the market nine years ago, we uh, were making posters and the graphic designer that we had uh, hired just happened to just make the poster and she made it with a bird on like a bare branch and it just kind of stuck over the years. And so we just developed that bird on that branch into the logo. Um but yeah, really, there's absolutely zero significance. I don't even know what the kind of bird it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, we could guess. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know what? Sometimes the best things happen quite by accident. And I can hear folks yelling at the radio right now, Brett. What is Third and Bird? What do they do? <laughs> Mackling, you didn't even ask them so that they could share. So what is Third and Bird? Third and Bird, we run urban markets. Uh, we showcase local showcase local Winnipeg vendors, Manitoba, and we just give them a platform to sell their goods. So, yeah. Where have you been doing this? So we started off um, at a local church, the Winnipeg Centre Vineyard Church, and they're at the corner of Maine and Sutherland. And we did that for five uh, years, or sorry, no. Uh, it was like six, six seven six, years. Six, seven years yeah. out of that location. And uh, it just started off to giving a couple of local artists a platform. Like, and when we talk artists, we're, we're talking people who make all sorts of goods, um, an opportunity to sell. And quite a few people, like a couple hundred people, came out to that. We're like, wow, like that was easy. We didn't do a ton of advertising. And then every year, it just kept expanding and growing and growing and growing into the thousands. And so um, more and more people were applying and just people out of all over Manitoba who are incredibly talented were applying to the market. So that's... So you're essentially facilitators. You uh, get all these uh, fantastic artisans together, people that are trying to market their product. You give them a physical place to sell their wares and, and you worry about all the logistics of creating this this market. You got it. That's exactly... exactly. That's exactly what we do. So, like, our passion is people. We love uh, local goods. We love what's going on here in Manitoba. Um, we feel like that there was, like, a huge movement about seven years ago where prior to that, people were taking off, moving to Alberta, going out west. Like, people weren't really committed to staying in Manitoba. And then all of a sudden, there's just, like, this up, like, rising of uh, small companies saying, you know what, I want to stay here. I want to make Winnipeg amazing. I want to, like, own my own business and own company. And so when we gave that platform, like, it was just the right timing. It was, like, the right wave that came in. And, uh, yeah, so a lot of these companies or artisans that we support and have given a platform to, quite a few of them have expanded into having their own storefronts now, which is incredible. And, uh yeah, we're really proud to be here in Manitoba and proud that, you know, that we support local and give these entrepreneurs a platform to to be exposed. Um, even just recently, two of them went down to the Celebrity uh, Grab Bag Academy Awards. And we have quite a handful, at least six I can think off the top of my head, that have been showcased in these Celebrity Grab Bags, which is 
just another great platform for them as well. Charlotte, how long does it take you two to get this organized? Your show for May 9th, for example, or your, your market for May 9th, how long does that take? It takes a few months. Like usually we have a short turnaround between like Christmas and spring market. So spring market being May 5th, we started just after Christmas and you're just full tilt into it. So I'd say four months. Vendors apply about three months before. So so you started yeah. in this church at uh, Maine and Sutherland and that, and then you had to evolve into a new space. What was the follow-up space for that? Uh, Transcona Country Club. It's the third largest venue in Winnipeg, surprisingly. We didn't know that until you started looking into venue spaces. It was 20,000 square feet. Yeah, it's cavernous in there. And we thought this is going to be huge. We busted at the seams the first night. We caused a traffic jam. We were on the police uh, helicopter radar that night. Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How's that? We had 1,500 people show up when the doors opened. So you got to think Transcona Country Club, their parking lot holds three. 300 cars and we have 1500 people just at the first moment ready to, ready to get in so yeah like Charla said when we moved to Transcona we were like this is great we're gonna stay here for a while but Winnipeg showed up they saw that you know we had the space they were excited to come and so we knew from that moment all right we need to we need to find a bigger venue um, yeah. and a space that can accommodate how many markets did you do at the Transcona Country Just Club? Just two. Two. You were troublemakers. You were branded. You weren't allowed back. <laughs> <laughs> Is that possible? Uh, no comment. No comment. <laughs> okay. Do you want to give away some stuff? Yes, we will. We'll find out where you're you're doing your next market. But before we do that, Jeffrey Fortier. Uno, dos, tres, get closer. 680 CJOB's fly away to you too. Your time to win is now. Joy Raymundo, you have five minutes to call 204-780-6868 to qualify to win this trip that, Greg, I know you're super excited about. I've considered quitting my job just so I can enter. It's true. (laughs) So the trip, once again, is... Oh, uh, sure, here. I don't don't even think I need this. It's uh, May 12th in Vancouver, BC Play Stadium, one of uh, U2's absolute favorite places to play. We will send you to Vancouver and back, two of you, hotel accommodations for two in Vancouver on May 12th and the 13th. There'll be lots to do, but you'll just be so blown away by this concert. Uh, You'll just be walking around with stars in your eyes. How do you qualify? Go online, cjob.com. You can do that right now. And then beginning uh, earlier this week, we started every single day. 7.10 a.m. with Shadow Davis. 11.10 with Jeff Courier. 2.10 with Mackling and McGarry. And then 5.10 with Richard and Julie. If you hear your name, you'll have five minutes to call. And then... Once you do that, you're in for the draw. That'll be made March 31st with Shadow Davis. We will announce one winner, two tickets to Vancouver to see you too. Joy Raimundo, you have five minutes to call 204-780-6868 to qualify. And our conversation with Third and Bird continues after your forecast on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. Our guests are from Third and Bird, Chandra Kremsky and Sharla Smeal. They are the operators of Third and Bird Markets, which have been around in Winnipeg for nine years now. It's a pop-up marketplace that brings in thousands of shoppers. And on May 9th, they have a new location, Chandra. It's a pretty exciting location, kind of an iconic location. Tell us about it. 
Yeah, we're incredibly excited to be um, at the Bay downtown. And exactly like you said, it is an iconic location. It has a ton of history. And when you look at the history of even the Bay, like starting back in the 1800s, they were all about the goods and the trades. And uh, we are an urban market. And yeah, though we're not trading goods for goods, we do have those local makers who um, are making their goods. They're not getting it made in a factory somewhere. They are... uh, They're using their hands to make their product and to pair up our market with the history of the Bay and how they started out. It's a really cool um, marriage, if you will, uh, to to kind of bring that back together and have that history. And that building is so cool. Like the space is amazing and we, we are incredibly excited to have our market in there. How much space is it? Because you mentioned the Transcona Country Club is not enough space. It's 80,000 square feet. Really? It's huge. Each floor, there's six floors, six floors. Each floor is 80,000 square feet. Oh, I guess I should turn your microphone on. Were right? you trying to disclude me, Brett McGarry? <laughs> I don't know. I guess, <laughs> apparently. What a massive I just, I store. I wanted these two ladies to myself. Right, I don't so. blame you for that. 480,000 square feet, roughly, right? One yeah. of these monster locations. And I think this is the type of life a lot of people envision perhaps long-term for this building, potentially, and I'm not trying to get you to commit (laughs) to having this market 365 days a year, but it is that idea, I think, that a lot of people are starting to envision. We had conversations on the radio station a few weeks ago, it may even have been last year, late last year, about Portage Place. What would you do with Portage Place? And one idea from one of our listeners was to kind of create a, a shopping mall for local goods, for artisans, for people to express themselves and to show their wares and give them an opportunity at a reduced rent. You're doing this on a grand scale. How many different artisans, how many different, you know, retailers essentially are you presenting? Uh, For this upcoming spring market, we have 110 that we are going to be showcasing, um, which is our largest number we've ever showcased. And that is hugely in part that we have the space to do it and the space to do it comfortably where shoppers and Winnipeggers can come in and not feel like that they're crammed in this space. Um, our makers, our artisans get to create these mini storefronts. They have these uh, big square footage spaces where they can like p- invite people to come in almost like, like I said, a mini storefront. So it's pretty incredible um, atmosphere and the energy at our markets is is pretty incredible as well. And is it just in the, the on, is it in the basement or is it the, are you going to be scattering throughout the whole store? Like, how is that yeah, going to work? We are looking at the fourth floor and the basement. Basement by far is the most open space. The other ones have kind of been blocked up and partitioned off over the years. So yeah, we're currently looking at well, both spaces. We had the Win- Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra here. And of course they did a show. Yes. Down yeah. there, and it went off. People were blown away. Yes. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, including us, it's like you just didn't know that that space existed um, or that if you did, you didn't know if it was accessible or not. And so the symphony that was there, I believe, on February 2nd, uh, they did a fantastic job. Uh, they really transformed this large space into a very intimate um, and beautifully lit space. And so that's our goal, too, with using it is you got the beauty of seeing all of the different uh goods for sale. Um, We've teamed up with a company called Lights Unlimited, and they've done really great lighting all over the city. And they're going to be doing um, 
our lights for us down in the basement. So you don't want to miss it, even just for the sake of just kind of seeing the building and seeing what we how we transform the basement. It's going to be amazing. Is it open to anybody? Like, I don't need to buy tickets for this. Do I to get in? Ah, uh, yes, you do. Yeah? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but because it's you, we have a yeah, pair of pockets. You, not you specifically, uh, but everybody else. Uh, Friday night, um, we actually, was it, how many years ago did we start the early bird? This Two is our, in three, 2015. Three years ago. Because we have such large crowds, uh, we started the early bird ticket. So you can pre-buy your tickets Friday night, the 5th, ahead of time, which are actually going on sale this Saturday at 9 a.m. Last year, they sold out in about an hour and a half. So, yeah, you can find that on our website. Um, but Saturday is at the door, cash, $5. Anybody can come then. So Fantastic. I, I mean, for me, a visit to downtown was never complete without a malt stop uh, visit down in the basement yes. of the bay. Are you going to have some yes. food? Do I have to eat before I come? Bring a bag lunch? What am I doing? <laughs> Great question. If anyone is a malt maker, they can uh, contact us. <laughs> You're like, we've heard that a few times. Oh, we've heard that so many the times. The malt stop, man. <laughs> the malt stop. Uh, but great question. We have a wonderful lineup of uh, cafe vendors. Uh, so we always encourage people to come to the sale hungry. Um our lineup of cafe vendors this year, we have Bronuts. And if you've had one of their donuts, you know you can't stop at one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Chew Restaurant. We have um, Green Carrot. We have Pop-Up Cart. Pop-Cart. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and why am I drawing a blank? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank too. Let's shut your, pi- shut your pie hole. <laughs> shut your pie hole. She makes um, pies, like pastries, um, She in, in a jar. They're not all ex- um, exclusively in a jar, but that's kind of what really sets her apart and makes her different is she uses like those old like canning Masonry jars. jars? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mason yeah, jars, canning jars. And puts like, so you just throw it in your lunch bag and you can have a homemade pie, rhubarb, apple, oh you name it. God. But then she also makes like, full-on pies like lemon meringue that you can take home. And she's another one of those great success stories of she got, you know, invited to do the celebrity grab bags. She now has opened up her own store um, in the Windsor Park area. And so has, she has a storefront. She was on the Food Network as one of the contestants. So really, we have so much talent in Winnipeg. And that's, again, why um, our, we feel our, our market is important because we give – uh, these makers, that platform um, to be showcased and to, to be seen and known. Charlotte, do you have a website or a Facebook page or anything? We have a website, www.thirdandbirdevents.com. And yeah, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Actually, today is the first day we started our Instagram uh, media with all of our vendors. So we showcase two a day up until the market. You can also go on our website to find all of our vendors on there too. I'm going on Twitter right now. And I'll be I'll look you up on the Instagram momentarily. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, thank you so much for coming in. What a pleasure it is to meet the both of you. And The dates uh, again, one more time. Oh, the dates again. Our general mission is Saturday, May 6th. And if you want to have first dibs on everything, uh, make sure to log on to our website this Saturday at 9 a.m. to purchase your early bird tickets for Friday night.
That website again, thirdandbirdevents.com. Chandra Kremsky and Charlotte Smeal, operators of Third and Bird Markets, again happening at Hudson's Bay downtown on May 6th. Thank you so much for coming in today, okay? Thank you so much for having us. Global News coming up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. It is time for our usual visit with Carolyn Klassen to talk about seven ways to practice emotional first aid. We're going to do that in a moment. But first, we have uh, Keith McCullough in with some we, uh, follow-up. We just heard the breaking news that Robin Milne's $118,000 medical bill, I said it uh, wrong, I said 180000 it's 118000 His bill is covered. Keith, what can you tell us about yeah, this? And this is just breaking. It was a bit of a bombshell in the legislature this afternoon. Health Minister Kelvin Gertson was getting grilled about the Robin Milne situation, a story that we told people about first on Global News a while back. He went to the United States for medical care, wound up at a hospital in Grand Forks that wasn't covered and was facing this massive, massive medical bill. And he's actually at the legislature today. He was brought in by the NDP to complain about the situation. And then Manitoba Health Minister Kelvin Gertson says, I've had some meetings with the officials down in Minnesota as part of what's called the Altru Agreement. That's the deal that the government has that deals with those people down there going across the border for health care, it's been covered. The balance owing for Robin Milne is now $0, according to Health Minister Kelvin Gertzen in the legislature. So a great, great news story coming out of this today. Robin Milne and his fight and our fight, guys, here at Global News to get this bill covered for Robin Milne. It certainly looks like a victory. We're still trying to get the finer points ironed out and how this how this came to be and who exactly is paying the bill. But Robin Milne, again, it's our understanding is actually at the legislature. So we're hoping to speak to him, obviously, later this afternoon, along with all the other players involved. Obviously, Kelvin Gertz and the health minister will continue to bring reaction to this story. Throughout the afternoon, I know Richard and Julie will certainly be all over at 4 o'clock. I believe a lot of people saw this as an injustice to Robin Milne. But if people do not stand up and speak out about these injustices, because once Robin Milne spoke up, we learned of so many others who were in the same situation, but either mortgaged their homes, borrowed money, did whatever they could to pay these bills without saying anything. This shines a light on something that a lot of us did not know existed, this agreement with this with all true uh, health care. And I guess we're learning and going to try and learn, has it been uh, Manitoba that's writing a check for this or has all true decided to write off Robin Milne's inspe- yeah, uh, expenses? Yeah, all the ins and outs of this we're still trying to figure out. And you raise a good point, Greg, not to take the spotlight off Robin Milne today, but there are lots of other people who have been affected by this same agreement. So are some changes being made now to make sure this doesn't happen again? Is there a chance anyone else could get some help with their expenses? We don't know that at this point. We're still trying to get those answers, but we will be speaking with Kelvin Gertzen and we will be speaking with the man himself, Robin Milne, coming up later this afternoon here on 680 CJOB. Thank you, Keith. Keith McCullough, thank you very much. And now we turn our attention to Carolyn Klassen, who is a therapist with Connexus Counseling, the website connexuscounseling.ca. Seven ways to practice emotional first aid. And I guess one way you can do that is to uh, go on another sunny, hot vacation. (laughs) 
the second one of the 2017. Jealous much, Brett? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It was a once-in-a-lifetime treat because of a special birthday I had last year, and I enjoyed every minute of it, and it really is very good for one's mental health is to get uh, seven days of end-to-end sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. Where was it this time? I was in Cuba. Mm. Yeah, the beaches. If you if you took a picture of the beach and showed it to people, they would just think it was photoshopped. That it actually can't be that blue, and it is. Really? Yeah. Oh, jealous. Uh, I feel the sun on the back of my <laughs> neck, and I can. I don't know. I think it's a daiquiri I taste. <laughs> So, Carolyn, first of all, before we go any further with this, I apologize right now uh, for not knowing that the Trinity Western uh, Spartans are the Spartans. My mother texted me to tell me that she had heard that that was an issue earlier this afternoon. So please, please forgive me. I know how close that school is to your heart and your family. And I have to tell you, I will be cheering for Trinity Western University Spartans tomorrow at the University of Manitoba. Absolutely. My son plays on that team and I'm quite psyched. Uh, I was was a huge dilemma how I would cheer the last couple of weeks because if Manitoba came in first, then they would come here and play, and I would get to see them play on the home turf and invite all our friends and family. And if um, you know, Trinity came in first, then the playoffs would be there. And so this was, you know, th- the fact that Trinity came in second meant they came here. It was sort of like win-win either way, no matter what happened in the last weeks of the season. Well, we'll wish you a moderate amount of good luck. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> well, all four teams have qualified for nationals it's as true. it stands. Yes. So, you know, really, they're just kind of uh, battling for king of the Canada West you know, sandbox anyway. The so. Western Conference is so strong. It's, yeah, it's fabulous. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun game to watch. So, emotional first aid. Had you even heard of that term before? What's that? Emotional first aid. You know, uh, no, I'd never heard of it. And I think it's uh, it's a great way of looking at uh, things because uh, so often we don't know what the first step is, right? And first aid would be, you know, in my mind, the first thing that you do. You cut yourself, you put a Band-Aid, and, and then, you you know, th- there's more to it, right? You, you wash it out, and then you put the Band-Aid, but then you, there's some nurturing that goes on to that wound, right? Well, I think I loved um, when reading this term, it was psychologist Guy Winch, who came up with um, the idea of emotional first aid. And I think he was pointing out that we have a physical health and we have an emotional and mental health. And we know a lot about taking care of our physical bodies, right? And most of us have had some first aid in school or have taken courses on it. You know, when you get sprained an ankle, you should elevate it and put ice on it. You know, when you have a cut, you should put pressure on it and stop the bleeding and then disinfect it. We know those things. And those things, they, they, they increase our, our quality of our life. They increase our health. First, first aid for our physical bodies is kind of a no-brainer. And yet we don't pay near the attention to our emotional health and recognize that when we have emotional injuries, and we do, we don't even recognize that that's an emotional injury. And then now it's time for first aid because so often when there's an emotional injury, I don't know if this is for like, I would think it would be for you because it's it's certainly myself and my clients and my friends, we talk about it where if you have an emotional injury where, you know, like, you know, your boss yells at you at work, for example, the temptation is to go home and say, what was I missing? Why did I, what, why did that happen to me? And and we sort of, it's like we got cut emotionally, but we, we dig into the cut and we make it deeper and bigger and sort of stick our fingers in it and make it worse rather than better. And it's sort of counterintuitive for us to think of, oh, this is an emotional injury. Let me have some emotional first aid. Let me take care of myself. Let me think about what's wrong and let me do something to um, take care of the injury, to help it heal and to make sure it doesn't get worse. 
So is that uh, well? That's is that the first step then to pay attention to our emotional pain? Right. Uh, pay attention to emotional pain and to recognize it for what it is. And so often we delegitimize our emotional pain. So, for example, um, you might move to a new city and have a new job and be excited and have people introducing themselves to you, but yet you're profoundly lonely because you miss your friends and family where you used to live. Do we give ourselves permission to say, even though I'm surrounded by people? I am lonely and and have that allow that to be an injury, right? Sometimes people when they're new moms, they're struggling under all those wake-ups um and and caring for this little creature and they would gladly give their lives for this little body that they have birthed into this world and this baby that they dearly dearly love. But they're also grieving the freedom they used to have before mm. that child was born. Mm-hmm. Do they give themselves permission and to to acknowledge the emotional pain that happens when you give birth to a baby and you trade in one really good lifestyle for a very different, very good lifestyle? Right? We've talked uh, with Dr. Cyrus a little bit about this idea of coaching yourself to maybe look at your reality in a different way. He he suggested the last time he was here that you mm-hmm. could almost you know paint an an alternate out come for certain things in order to to treat your uh, emotional well-being. This second thing on the list maybe falls under that. Redirect your gut reaction when you fail. Right. Our gut reaction so often is to um, beat ourselves up and to say really nasty, harsh things to ourselves. That's often our gut reaction when we fail is to be mad at ourselves for failing. And you can imagine if, um, Greg, if you're, one of your kids comes home with a lousy math test, um, you wouldn't put him in a corner and say, "Why didn't you study harder? What it, you know? Why, why didn't you work at getting the concepts better in the school? You're so stupid. That's not doesn't make any sense." But we would think nothing of saying that to ourselves if we got a poor performance evaluation at work, right? We wouldn't do what we would do, what you would do with your kid to say, "Okay, so let's look at this. This has got to hurt." Um, take a deep breath and, you know, let's recognize how much this hurts. And let's also figure out, maybe not today, but another day, what we can do to make the next next test different, right? We would do that with a ch- with somebody else, but that's not our gut reaction to do that for ourselves. And that might, in all likelihood, be the reaction of the child when yes. they get that test, right? Yes. And so that's another part of being uh, engaged in a relationship, whether it's a parental or a partner relationship, is thinking about if that was me, what would my first reaction be? And then nurturing somebody else through a similar situation. And what you're doing there is not only helping them through the, you know, the recovery of that math test, what we can know by default what their gut reaction is, but also parenting in such a way that we are teaching them emotional first aid. We want to teach them what to do when they cut themselves. We want to teach them what to do when they experience a failure or betrayal or a loss. So how then do you redirect your gut reaction when you fail? Because I... I uh, don't want to speak for Greg, but I know when I fail in pretty much anything, and when it's professional failure, that takes me days, weeks to get over sometimes. For sure, right? Well, uh, what it is is it's practicing self-compassion, and we know that there's three components to self-compassion. The first is to talk to yourself like you talk to a good friend. And sometimes when I am tempted to beat myself up for something that's not going well, I have to stop myself and say, okay, Carolyn, if a friend of mine had experienced this, what would I say to her? And then I turn that very deliberately back on myself because I don't know how to talk to myself very naturally like I would talk to a good friend. So that's the first part. The second part is to be mindful and to, to understand to sort of experience, you know, how important your career is and to understand that that reaction comes from a place of caring and commitment. 
um, and wanting to do well. And then the third is to recognize that you're not the first person that has done poorly, you know, at something at work and that there's sort of a common humanity that you're one of everybody who's had moments of failure at work and to extend yourself compassion because you're not the only one. You're not uniquely bad. And then I guess uh, on a personal note, if I'm golfing and I hit a bad shot and I, <laughs> and I yell at myself, ah, oh, Brett, you're useless. You should just quit. I should maybe stop doing that. Well, it, let, try that and let me know how that affects your golf game. Okay. <laughs> if, if you're not quitting after that advice to yourself, that means you're, you're doing better than you might imagine on, on healing and providing yourself with emotional first aid. I shouldn't just hold up my golf bag and empty everything into the LaSalle River? I'd love to see that. <laughs> 240. My dad actually saw a guy do that at Windsor Park, by the way. He, 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 was a, he, got, he had a bad shot and he took his golf clubs and he emptied everything into the, I guess it's the Saint river at I, Windsor I Park, be, yep. <laughs> and he walked off the course. for golf clubs. <laughs> <laughs> it's 247. Carolyn Klassen is our guest, and we will continue our conversation in a moment on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. She is Carolyn Klassen, therapist with Connexus Counseling, the website connexuscounseling.ca, and she found this article, Seven Ways to Practice Emotional First Aid, and we are talking about those. Uh, the first one is pay attention to emotional pain. The second one is to redirect your gut reaction when you fail. And the third is monitor and protect your self-esteem. Can you talk a little bit about that one, Carolyn? Well, it's recognizing that often it's at the precise moment when we fail or experience a loss or a betrayal, have some sort of sense of, of an emotional wound. That's often when we get down on ourselves. And that's when we use the components of self-compassion that I talked about previously. Talk to yourself like you would a best friend. Be mindful of your pain. Allow it to be there. Um, don't push it away. And then to recognize that suffering is a part of being human. And so it's you're, there's nothing uniquely bad about something bad happening. It, it, what it means is that you're alive. The one that really caught my attention is number five. Number four is when negative thoughts are taking over, disrupt them with positive distraction. But number five is find meaning in loss. I think a lot of us have a difficult time with that one. Yes, I, I've i probably learned most about that from a fellow, a psychiatrist named Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist during the time of World War II. He was of Jewish heritage. He lived in Europe. He lost many family members and himself served time in concentration camp. And he had this um, term called redemptive suffering. And he felt very much where if you can find meaning in your suffering, if you can create a redemptive component to your suffering, it ceases to become suffering in the same sort of way. And so often when I have had really difficult times in my life, uh, my little mantra, and I don't mean this to be cliche, I, I sincerely try to do it, is, okay, so life has dealt me these lemons and it's my responsibility to turn them into lemonade, some sort of lemonade as a way of giving back or contributing or, or making, giving, a, giving some sort of positive glint to it. How can I make other people's lives better because I have greater insight? What does this teach me? How can I grow as a person because of how this is happening? And this is not to say, oh, well, I welcome trouble so that I can learn better or I can help people more. It's not like I'm, I'm wanting bad things to happen, but if we know bad things are going to happen to us and if we can find a way to see, to create a silver lining. And sometimes that requires deliberate work. It requires investing in volunteer work, investing in other people's lives because of what you've learned. If you can create a silver lining to it, it changes the way we remember that suffering. Now, Greg did mention uh, the fourth thing on this list is when negative thoughts are taking over, disrupt them with positive distraction. So 
that is that a, a band-aid or is that actually something that can kind of help you form a new habit? Well, really, it's it's kind of a gimmick that that really works. We know that if you get stuck in something, if you're going around and around in a rut, ruminating on what your boss said and you can't get your mind off of it and it's bringing you down when you go home, you're still thinking about it and it's taking you out of the loop of being present with people. We know that if you can spend two minutes distracting yourself, that likely you can get yourself out of that. And we also know that the more you do it, the easier it is to get yourself out of that cycle. And so what uh, the the Dr. Guy Winch suggests is doing things like a Sudoku or a crossword puzzle or remembering um, all the people that were in your fifth grade class or something that's just completely different. Hmm. One of the things that I think research has said is even you get a double bang for your buck is to do a gratitude check. So when I'm really ruminating on something, what I will do, because I, I, I love to learn from research and um, I'm a lifelong learner, and the research says that if we, if we are grateful, our brain chemistry changes. And so I will look around the room and be grateful for 10 things. And where did that come from and why am I grateful for that? And how does that make our life better? And isn't, isn't that amazing? We have a little mini computer in our pocket. And what, what 10 ways have I used that little mini computer in my pocket to make my life better and to learn different things and to connect with people? And who have I connected with? And how am I grateful for those? And before you know it, you have broken yourself out of that cycle. And sometimes you need to do it three or four times in 20 minutes. But the more you do it, the, the more you'll get out of those ruminating patterns that are so destructive. So can number four connect somewhat? Can we use some of the same skills and some of the same strategies to deal with number six? Don't let excessive guilt linger. Right. I think guilt is actually a really helpful thing because guilt often is what cues us to say, what I did didn't align with my behavior. And that guilt is that little cue of, you know, you need to apologize and make it right, or you need to change the way you do something next time. And guilt can be a really helpful way for us to grow. But that's only if we sort of keep it at that level of it's a, if it being a learning tool for us. If that excessive guilt, if we just get into that, if the guilt starts to become shame of not only did I do a bad thing, but it means I am bad. And it means that I can never do another good thing again, or it means I am always going to be a screw up rather than, okay, I screwed up. What do I need to do? I'll take care of it and I'll move on. That's the challenge. Unfortunately, we can't get to number seven here, which is learn what treatments for emotional wounds work for you. But if you want to read this article, just shoot me an email, brett at cjob.com, and I will get you the link to seven ways to practice emotional first aid. Carolyn Clausen is a therapist with Conexus Counseling. She has much more on her website, conexuscounseling.ca. Carolyn, thank you so much for the weekly visit. Looking forward to next week already. Great to be here. 257, Global News up next. What is that saying you have, Brett? A look behind the curtain? Yes. At 680 CJOB, we are going to provide a little bit of that as the story on Robin Milne continues to develop. We had breaking news earlier this afternoon. Robin Milne was at the Manitoba Legislature as a guest of the NDP, as we understand it. Keith McCullough, Global News, take it from there. Well, we were initially told by an aide to the Pallister government and to Health Minister Kelvin Gertson that Robin Millen's $118,000 medical bill was covered, that the balance owing was zero. That's the quote that I received and colleagues of ours at Global News received from the Manitoba government, the party line. We're now learning that that may or may not necessarily be the case. We, we're confident in saying that some of this bill, a big chunk of it, is being covered. But there's a possibility that there may be ambulance fees involved here or other non-medical bills 
that may potentially not be completely covered under this agreement. We're we're looking to speak to the health minister. We're told he's meeting with Robin Milne right now. So we're waiting to speak to the health minister to clarify all the details on this. But right now it looks like we were first told the entire bill was covered. It's possible now that that may not indeed be the case, but at least some of the bill is being covered. We've been talking about this all true agreement. All true is an actual company, a, a provider of healthcare in the United States, in Minnesota. And all true was referenced also by the minister in his statement. So it is possible that. All true may not have provided transportation or some other portions of this bill that Robin Milne has been saddled with. It's possible that the medical bill under the agreement with All True, which is people in Sprague, Manitoba, down in the southeast corner of the province, go over the U.S. border sometimes for urgent medical care. It's part of an agreement. Uh, it's possible that that bill may have indeed been covered, but as you mentioned, Greg, maybe there was an outstanding not involved in that agreement ambulance bill, some other bills, something like that, that may not be completely covered. There's still a chance the whole thing is going to be covered, but Robin Mill may still be on the hook for X amount, thousands of dollars here based on what we're learning out of the legislature right now. We wanted to make sure that everyone understood that the story is not complete, that all the facts are not in as we believed them to be a half hour ago. And this is, yeah, things are very fluid right now down at the legislature. We have multiple reporters down there all over this story. We're going to continue to have reports throughout the afternoon. We do expect the health minister, Kelvin Gertzen, as well as Robin Milne himself to join Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham at some point between 4 o'clock this afternoon and 7 o'clock this evening on the news. So certainly, guys, the very latest for you as we get it here on 680 CJ. Thank you. Thank you very much, Keith McCullough, Global News. We are going to switch gears now to something that, uh, well, you, if you've ever listened to, to me talk about anything really here, you know that I always manage to sneak golf into the conversation. <laughs> it's like the old days when every conversation at a dinner table would eventually come around to the Winnipeg Jets coming back or the NHL coming back to Winnipeg. Your conversations inevitably <laughs> circle around and come back to golf somehow, some way. There is a really unhealthy relationship, I think, an unhealthy obsession with this game that I love so much, even though I'm so terrible at it. Kevin O'Donovan is the regional director of the Prairie Chapter of National Golf, golf Course Owners Association of Canada, talking about the Golf Expo, which is this weekend, tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday at the Convention Center. Kevin, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, thanks for your patience, by the way, while we uh, dealt with the, the breaking news situation regarding Robin Milne. And one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about was uh, kids getting involved, families getting involved in golf. I know that it's some of the Golf Expo will focus on that. So I guess maybe can you tell us a little bit about how that is going to play out at the Expo? Well, Brett, we can help you in with that golf fixation. There's nothing wrong with it, believe me. So, okay. you know, from a from a junior standpoint, I mean, uh, for golfers, it's it's a great opportunity to get kids involved in the game. And coming down to Winnipeg Golf Expo, we've got a number of opportunities for kids to take a look at it, experience it, and get some good information for the kids and, and parents to take the game up and, and where to take it up and what opportunities exist. I mean, we've got some 
Um, some great presentations going on on our stage. As an example, Saturday morning, uh, we've got two of the leading Canadian junior golf instructors uh, presenting a session on opportunities for junior golfers in, in Manitoba. So uh, besides that, we've got things like the Golf and Schools program that's run by Golf Manitoba underneath Golf, um, golf Canada. We've got Golf Mentor, which runs countless uh, junior programs around the province. So definitely a great opportunity to get the kids involved and hopefully hook them into a sport, which is a lifetime sport. Kevin, you know what? We're just going to pause our conversation for a moment. Hopefully you can stand by. We do need to take care of some traffic and weather business. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Got to give away some passes. We're talking about the Golf Expo, and wouldn't you know, we have four tickets to give away to the Winnipeg Golf Expo this weekend, Friday to Sunday, March 10th to the 12th at the RBC Convention Center. The question today involves the Donald. Last year, last March, in fact, so one year ago, you might remember this kerfuffle between Marco Rubio and Donald Trump about the size of Donald's hands. So when little Marco spews his crap about the size of my hands, which are big, the size of my hand. Donald countered by saying his hands can hit a golf ball how far? 204-780. Great question, Brad. 6868. How far could Donald... Trump say he could hit a golf ball. Two, it's 204-780-6868. Another sport that seems to go hand-in-hand hand with golf is curling. Canada leading Team Manitoba going into the 10th end. Canada just picked up two. It's 4-3 uh, Canada, but uh, Manitoba coming home with hammer, as they say. Kevin O'Donovan joining us now, the Winnipeg Golf Expo. And Kevin, why would I want to get my kids involved in this crazy game that drives Brett absolutely mad and and has a tendency to do the same for me well you know guys i think it's all keeping in perspective and, and number one golf is a lifetime sport uh there's almost six million canadians that play golf it's the number one participation sport in canada and definitely i mean there's a lot of merits to the game for fitness and health and well-being and family activities and it's one of those activities that for a family and for juniors that it's a great way to spend time together. It's a great way to be outside. And you can make a lot of great friendships and relationships through the game of golf. So I think there's a lot of positives that need to be factored in when you're making those decisions on what to do with your your kids and young family. What do you say to people who might say, gosh, I don't know, golf's kind of an expensive hobby in sport? Well, I think, first of all, um, you know, in this day and age, when you hear parents that are spending in the tens of thousands of dollars a year for their kids hockey or you know kids different activities it certainly is a choice there's no question but i think what people are mistaken about is the entry-level opportunities and the opportunities are provided for for youth of all ages to get involved experience it and and get a chance to love the game which then incrementally you can carry on and, and start investing in more heavily as you choose to and pursue to move it further. But as an entry level, it's very, very realistic to get into the game for a set of clubs, whether they be new or used. Uh, green fees, Manitoba has probably the most affordable green fee structure in, in most parts of the country. But it's a great way, as I say, to combine the time with family and friends and be on the outside and enjoy the time out uh, playing the game. But it is certainly not as inaffordable as, as most people believe it to be. Kevin, it's been said that sport doesn't reveal, uh, develop character, it reveals it. Uh, I don't think anything uh, could be truer uh, said about golf. You really learn a lot about an individual when you spend three or four hours on a golf course with them. 
Without question. And, you know, I, I think I hearken back to the days when my kids were young, and I remember my son at, at eight or nine said, Dad, why are all the people on the golf course so nice and polite? Um, you know, and I think it's one of the, the intangibles that, that when you get kids involved and families involved in the game of golf, uh, there's a certain level of respect that they gain and show others, and there's so many positives with, with that piece of the game of golf. And as I said before the break, Manitoba has got two of the leading nationally recognized uh, golf coaches and teachers in, in this area, and, uh, and and people like Adam Boga and Glenn Circus have done so much for the game and development of junior golf in Manitoba, partnering with the PGA Manitoba, partnering with Golf Manitoba on developmental programs, that this is probably one of the leading areas and the greatest opportunity for juniors to get involved and take up the game. And as I say, it's a lifetime sport. You can play it from start to finish. Kevin O'Donovan, thank you so much for joining us. Kevin, he is the regional director at Prairie Chapter for National Golf Course Owners Association of Canada, talking about the Golf Expo, which is on this weekend at the Convention Centre. And as a matter of fact, we are giving away four tickets right now. The question was... Last March, you might remember, there was this kerfuffle between Marco Rubio and Donald Trump about the size of Donald's hands, and Donald countered by saying he can hit a golf ball how far? Those hands can hit a golf ball 285 yards. Lie! Lie! Michelle Berthelet is today's winner. She was able to remember that. So congratulations, Michelle. You're going to the Golf Expo, and our final four passes will be given away tomorrow. We'll have to do that a little earlier tomorrow so people have time to come grab them. It is 322, traffic, weather, sports, all up next. It's Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB, and there's something happening in Winnipeg tomorrow, the 2017 Spirit of Winnipeg Awards. This is happening tomorrow afternoon at 5.30 at Club Regent Event Centre, and tickets are available at winnipeg-chamber.com, the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. This is a gala event that shines the spotlight on Winnipeg champions, and one of those champions is here with us, Sean McKay is the president and CEO of the Composites Innovation Center. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. No problem. Glad to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why the Composites Innovation Center has been uh, selected for this event? Well, uh, there were several categories, and one of them was in the uh, related to the environment. Uh, uh, Since our inception about 12, 13 years ago, we we were engaged in uh, looking at how to take... uh, the biomass in the fields, such as flax and hemp, that is uh, traditionally either uh, taken off the fields and um, uh, and used for uh, like for paper manufacture, which is uh, very uh, inexpensive. Oh, you don't get a lot of return to the farmer. Otherwise, it's burned and burned on the field, so it's, it creates a bit of a climatic disaster. So, what we've been trying to do is take that material and separate it out, and then use it in industrial bioproducts and such as things like. If you've got fiberglass reinforcements in composites, such as a, a bus door or a, or a boat, how we can replace that fiberglass with a natural fiber. And then you look at some of the crop itself, it's made up of uh, the fibers in a woody straw, a woody core material, and uh, how can you take some of that other material and play, use it for replacements of materials in cinder blocks? Composites plays a huge role in the economy here in Manitoba. It certainly does. We have uh, we we fly under the radar a lot of times, but uh, we uh, if you look at some of the major manufacturers such as the McDonalds, the Bueller's from the tractor side, the motor coaches, new flyers, and then the Magellans and Boeing's, 
they have a significant amount of confidence on their products, and uh, we support them directly as well as other uh, of the supply of the others in the supply chain to be able to uh, have uh, reduced cost for the product, reduce weight, and uh, improve performance. So is that why something like the Composites Innovation Center is so critical? It's to integrate not only big industry and agriculture, you know, unless you've got a tractor on the field, you wouldn't necessarily connect the two, but this this can definitely connect the two in terms of uh, creating a better product, a more competitive product on the manufacturing front. That's right. We uh, Part of our uh, mantra is that we were able to uh, net, uh, build networks and combine uh, Build bringing different expertise to the to the uh, uh, to the project to the program and uh, and have that expertise uh, then being used for it to uh, increase the the probability of success of chances of success with our industry partners so that we can they can get the best products out there and I think from this side of most specifically where we're coming from the, where this award's coming we've taken not only a a Manitoba approach but a national approach in in creating uh, capabilities such as uh, if I'm a farmer and I want to use my fiber and I want to get a good price for my biomass off the field, how can I do that? And um, and you, the industry partners say, such as the the tractor guy says, well, I could, don't know if I can use my your material because I don't know what properties it has and I don't know if my part's going to fail because I don't know what the strength is. So um, what we've been doing is generating a capability to measure those properties of those materials and then also working on a national scale, build um, a Canadian-wide leading to international quality standards and actually have them on the field so you can go on into the producer, can go in there, can measure his, use a simplistic method to measure his material and knows which, which, where, what it can be used for and what kind of returns he can get for, from it. This is really exciting, and it, it sounds like you're you're sort of leading the way here with something that I mean, am I would I be incorrect uh, to say that this is kind of like new territory, a brave new world, so to speak? It's not really a brave new world. I'd say that Europe has been doing it for a few years, but not 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 significantly long. They've they've been working through incentives uh, to be able to make it happen. If you take the, however, if you take the same type of technology and uh, approach into the North American market, it just doesn't work from the economics perspective. And also our environment and the different varieties that are grown here compared with the Europeans. So I'd say that we are uh, developing a North American brand for this type of activity, but we're not so far behind as the the Europeans are. Well, and here's one that's rather timely, uh, given that uh, Greg has been sort of giving us updates on what's happening at the Briar. I see that uh, you have some involvement with something called, is it the Sandy Curling Broom? We have the uh, Sandy Curling Broom. We also have a couple of different feet on the broom that we've been involved in prototyping, and now a couple are in production. So what is the, I guess, what was your contribution when it came to this uh, this curling innovation? Um, well, Sandy, if anybody's seen it, it's, it's a rather expensive broom handle if you go into the curling stores. Uh, but it does have, a, it's made out of carbon fiber. It does have two handles on it. And it's not a straight broom handle. It's a, uh, it's uh, really an innovative one. And uh, uh, Sandy came in with us with a, burnt, a bent piece of aluminum piping and we turned it into a, uh, a really practical uh, design. And we did the initial prototypes at our place so that he could then demonstrate them with some professional curling rings. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at it at your website, compositesinnovation.ca, and it looks actually rather ergonomic. 
uh, sort of r- reminds me of a lot of these snow shovels that you're seeing now that have kind of multiple handles that make it easier on your back. This would, looks like it would make it easier to, I'm not a curler, to, to sweep. It makes perfect sense to me just because, I mean, uh, Mike McEwen still throws with his old corn broom with electrical tape uh, taped around it. And then you've got the, you had the horsehair brushes. And then now you've got, of course, the, uh, the different, the fiber, microfiber essentially uh, brushes that they use now. It only makes sense that as this sport gains popularity, the technology will change along with it. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's interesting. And it's interesting to see how you can develop better. In terms of this broom, how it works better is that you have a more consistent uh, pressure on the ice, both from the four-stroke and back, and also as you move down the ice towards the end, you, it doesn't. You're not as bagged when you come to the end, so you can keep the pressure on the uh, on on the ice and get it to the to melt a bit. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff, Sean. Sean McKay is the president and CEO of. The Composites Innovation Center, again, their website, compositesinnovation.ca, and they are an Environment Award finalist for the Spirit of Winnipeg Awards, which are happening tomorrow at the Club Region Event Center at 5.30 p.m. This is an event uh, organized by the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, and for more information on that, you can go to winnipeg-chamber.com. Sean, thanks for coming in and tell us a little, telling us a little bit about what you folks do over at That's Compositz. great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for putting up with me. <laughs> oh, come back anytime, Sean. <laughs> 3.46, traffic and weather up next. Manitoba's Mike McEwen falls to 7-2. and two. Kevin Cooey with a steal of two on the 10th end to uh, lead Team Canada over Team Manitoba 6-3. to three. So there could be a real logjam at the top of the standings as we make our way towards the weekend and the playoffs in the Men's Curling Championship of our great country. Richard Cloutier joins us now. We've been following the story of Robin Milne since about 2.30 this afternoon. What's the latest, Rich? Well, one of the reasons why I got into this business some 25 years ago is to make a difference in people's lives that when you encounter somebody that is going through an injustice, tell their story and put the pressure on the power to make the right decision. Robin Milne had a meeting with the health minister earlier this hour. You're going to hear his audio coming up with Julie on the 4 o'clock news. Robin Milne will join us in studio following the 4.30 news. Essentially what the government has said, that they will cover his costs, but is still at question the transportation costs. So at this point, he is still looking at a $40,000 bill, a lot less than the $118,000 bill. Uh, Milne says that hopefully the government will come around on that one. The health minister, Calvin Gertzen, uh, will not be joining us live at this point, but that's fine. I think um, their issue is we're helping Milne out. How about the others on this? So there's still a lot of uh, focus on this story. This is a story we brought you here exclusively on Global News and my colleague, uh, Brittany Greenslate, following up on this. And we have team coverage coming up on this story, including Robin Milne coming up and Julie, so many other stories that we're following. We've had to shuffle our lineup about five times in the last two hours. <laughs> and Pat Wedge will be here as well. This is, a, of course, an announcement that affects so many parents. Child Care Spaces will get her take on that announcement. We have tickets to give away, of course, uh, to Go check out Team Canada playing Team Costa Rica. So yesterday we had people call in and do their little soccer chant, maybe grab the kids and do it. So today we'll ask you to send maybe a little Facebook video of you and the kids cheering. Look at you. After 5.30, 
And you can check out this website right now, www.sexwithdrjess.com. Dr. Jess and Dr. Marky Twist, their marriage and family therapist, will join us in studio. That's following your 5.30 news. We'll keep it family-oriented, but uh, maybe we'll have to put a little warning on after 5.45 (laughs) as we talk about a little bit bit something that you folks might talk about during the afternoon. And is Dr. Jess, is this going to be a studio visit or? She's coming into the studio. Mm, Are you guys hanging around to meet her? (laughs) I have the feeling based on what you're looking at right now. Do we know Dr. Jess? Am I? Brett McGarry just. I'm just looking up the website right now. Oh, I see. And I kind of would like to. uh, (laughs) Stick around. Stick around to hear more of what Dr. Jess has to say. (laughs) Brett McGarry, you are more than invited to stick around. And at 545, you can ask uh, some questions of Dr. Jess. We'll see about that. All right. <laughs> Why are now you so red, Barry? Oh, no reason. I'm the one in makeup today. Yes, uh, you're right. I don't know. You're looking good there, by the way. Thank you very much. Mackling did some TV stuff today, and he looks extra sharp in his fancy suit. But, but you wanted, know what? They wanted to take the make off, makeup off. I said, are you kidding me? I'm wearing this as long <laughs> as TV I adds can. About, TV adds about 20 pounds <laughs> to you. Very, very Trump-esque, I must say. Really? These two are so sassy when you they come in. You lifted your here. sheet like you were going to say some more. I think your time is done here. Well, goodbye, Julie. <laughs> goodbye, Richard. And Richard, I have to commend uh, everyone at Global News who, who worked on that Robin Milne story, Brittany B- Greenslade, for really going to bat. And and Brett, you and I concur on this that this is something that is really the most special part of doing this job is is trying to find justice for people and to stand up for those that don't have a voice. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's a good thing that this that our colleagues were able to uncover this and find out that there are people who are having to experience this. I just can't imagine being saddled with that kind of a bill. So the fact that we were able to to shine a light on this and expose something that is really ugly, uh, I think is great. And so again, I will echo Greg's sentiments. Uh, well done to our colleagues at Global News. It is 3.54. That means we are out of time. Jeffrey Forte and Master Control, thank you very much. And Greg Mackling, I will talk to you tomorrow on 680 CJOB.